0: Welcome, Kent and I are uh, excited about going through the, the Book of Acts, perhaps in a little bit different manner. And uh, I, I will say, you know, last year Jeff and and Randall taught First and Second Samuel, and I personally, uh, I'll give you my opinion really appreciate a textual study and I appreciate you for being interested in digging and working our way through this and we're going to study the book of Acts we're going to do it not verse by verse or chapter by chapter but sort of sermon by sermon or speech by speech and my decision was rather than trying to group Sermons, you know, evangelistic two or three, or are or defensive two. Or, we'll just go in the chapter order. That that makes things very easy. So, in that regard, let me. We can just pass these out, yep. and, and I tried to make plenty of them, I and mean, we can. Is um, an outline. And, and I've got, if you lose yours, I've got lots of extra. Um, and it's small enough to fit, well, not inside your Bible, but almost. Uh, but here's what I have am proposing. I have bought some copies of a journal Bible of the book of Acts. The the only one that's available that I can find is ESV. ESV is not my go-to version, but it's a good translation. It's it's, uh, liked by a lot of people. And so here is a stack of ESV journal Bibles, and that's what... I'm gonna go through, Kent and I are gonna use as the text as we go through, and I invite you to take one and, and go along with us as well. And with a little bit of trimming with scissors, this actually fits in front of that. Anyway, so, so that was one of the things I tried to do. Um, if you've studied the book of Acts before, which I'm sure most of you have, the People have all kinds of alternative names. I, I mean, I've heard instead of the Acts of the Apostles, some of the Acts of Peter and Paul. Uh, and I've also heard Acts of the Holy Spirit uh, as, as a um, alternative. And this quote I found uh, from Jimmy Dunn, and I, I thought, Turn of phrase is just so great. I had to make a copy of it. The indwelling Holy Spirit transforms human ability and transcends human inability. That's that was in his commentary on Acts, which is probably 30 years old or something. Maybe um, Dunn passed away. 2022 I think um, a, a Brit so the the book of Acts don't bother trying to read the fine print I I, I I know it's 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 unreadable for me but this is a an outline chart of the book and uh, So 14 chapters across the top, 14 across the bottom. Uh, The red boxes are extended sermons, speeches. So you can see, depending upon how you count, verses, words, uh, one or two sentence sermons, uh, different people come up with somewhere between 30 and 40% of the text is a direct quote. And I'm, for this class, just going to assume that Luke was the author, the same person that wrote the third gospel, um, and that it's the Luke who was the co-worker and co-traveler with Paul, the, the one who shows up in the latter part of the book of Acts uh, in the "we" passages the, the parts where uh, the writer of the Acts of the Apostles uh, changes over from second person to, to first person or from third person to first person um, book of Acts covers 30 some years if, if we uh, in chapter 1 we're at the, the ascension and, and that part of it so let's say around 30 and it looks like the end of chapter 28 with Paul in Rome <coughs> in the narrative sort of sitting there uh, is maybe in the early 60s uh, there there are a couple of real hooks in Acts 12, uh, the death of Herod Agrippa the first we know is 44 A.D. So that hooks Acts 12 to 44 A.D. And in Acts 18, the mention of Gallio as the, the proconsul, uh, we know that Gallio was proconsul uh, in in 52 A.D. for just a, a little bit more than a, uh, a year I think so that narrows it down the other thing we know is that uh, the burning of Rome and Nero's uh, uh, blaming of Christians and all that is in 64 and and that doesn't show up in here at all so You might be able to take sort of as a negative connection that the all of the events in Acts 28 are actually done uh, before 64. The date of writing I've put up here mid to late 60s Um, I think there's a lot of controversy it was probably, well, it was almost certainly written after the gospel, so that, that whenever you want, if if you're one of those that wants to date the writing of the gospel to some late date, then Acts has to be a few years after that. But um, for our purposes, we'll assume that Luke put it together together uh, from his sources and from his witnesses and from his own experiences in the travels uh, sometime in the the 60s. I found this just recently and I, I hope you can see it well enough. The blue line is an overlay of the Roman Empire And underneath is a green map of North America. And I guess I had just never thought about, so so here is Jerusalem and Israel, Cyprus, Turkey, Greece, Macedonia, Crete, Italy, here, Sicily, Spain, Gaul, Britain, and then this, this part here is the Nile River Valley and then Northern Africa. So if you sort of envision that in that not so easily seen blue outline, it's about the same size as the United States. So if, if Paul is going from Jerusalem, so somewhere, I don't know, let's say Columbus, Georgia or something, to, Italy, to Rome it's up here to the corner of Wyoming. Um, Of course for him that's a water voyage uh, and it's also first century it's not, um, Southwest doesn't fly there yet so, but it was just it was really interesting so and even as far away as Spain is just a, for us a transcontinental air flight from from here to San Francisco, and then even up to the frontiers of the Brit- of the Roman Empire uh, to Britain, you're just you're going to Vancouver, I guess. So, uh, Oh, a bit of fun okay that's just a copy of the same outline that I'm proposing I would bet that in a few weeks we'll, we'll be behind but um, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how things go and I'm as you look at this calendar I made up the um uh, schedule thinking that the sunday after thanksgiving we normally did not meet for sunday school and jb tells me no of course we're having sunday school class on so we'll have a a sunday in here uh to catch up catch up to catch up yes yeah yeah that That's is, right. That's right, He shorted us the last week last semester. So, well, um, yeah, but so the, 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 the the last the last Sunday is Sunday December the twenty-fourth, and I know we don't have Sunday school no. on Christmas Eve. <laughs> so, okay, uh, a couple of more sort of background things. Uh, This is a way of looking at textual studies that I was introduced to fairly recently and calling it worlds, the worlds of interpretation. And maybe you've seen this as well. We will try to do a bit of this along the way. Um, The world behind the text is the author, the historical context, the situation, the culture, what's going on in the first century Mediterranean world. Um, The world of the text is is the uh, sort of nerdy look at the actual text, the genre, the structure, the writing style, what influenced it. I, I will say that I'm fairly convinced that Luke was a very intentional writer. He uh, worked at his craft, structured his gospel, structured the, the Acts uh, in a in a very can't think of another word other than structure. But, chronological. But yeah, it, well it's it's chronological, but uh there's been a lot of discussion about these speeches and sermons are these sermons of Luke or are these actually sermons of Peter and Paul and Stephen and uh, and speeches of uh, Festus and that sort of thing you know how much did Luke rely on oral tradition of of those actual speeches Um, And I guess we'll see as we go along I'm convinced that we're looking at uh, a close representation of the speeches the sermons of Peter and of Paul and there's some differences in vocabulary which comes into this world of the text that makes you think that maybe Peter used a little bit different vocabulary than Paul used and, and you can see that in the in the sermons these are not transcripts of a court reporter uh, sitting down the court reporter didn't have a uh, you know a tape recording to to go back to to check up and that sort of thing and uh, even in a joking way a lot of people had said that you know there's no way that Paul, for example, on Mars Hill only spoke, whatever it is, three and a half minutes. (laughs) And that Peter, with thousands of people in front of him on the day of Pentecost, uh, spoke more than whatever the second chapter is, seven minutes, six minutes, something like that. And then there's the world in front of the text. You know, how has... How have these sermons been received? And I think I've got, yeah. So we start talking about the audience. And for this, it's, to me at least, is very interesting. There's two important audiences. One is the people who heard the sermon or the speech initially. The people that were present there in the audience on the day of Pentecost had heard Peter. And there's the other audience that for that instance, maybe 30 some years later, Luke is writing this down for a church community and they are the audience that Luke has in mind when, when he puts this together uh, into a, a written narrative, and we get included into that group. We are the church community that are looking at what Luke has written for us. One question I've stuck here on the bottom that came up a couple of times in my reading, and that is, <clears throat> people had been critical. Oh. The book of Acts leaves out this or that or another thing, and it it doesn't have a very high Christology, or it doesn't have this or that. But the question is, was Luke assuming that his audience had read the gospel that he had written? And I think the answer is yes. Luke had limited space on his scroll or whatever to write all this down, organize it, include certain parts, uh, include lots of details about short periods of time, and big sweeping comments about very large periods of time. I mean, he, he made decisions, but it looks to me as though he was assuming his audience had the gospel. They had all of those. He didn't have to repeat that for his audience. So. Hey, when we did our class two years ago, we, we were doing you know, a week per book. One of the most interesting theories that I ran across of Luke-Acts is that it was written <coughs> Not not only to the church at Antioch, but it was written for Paul's attorney in Rome. That so that you when you read it from a that viewpoint, you get a, a very unique viewpoint of what the story he's telling. Yeah, the story the story of Jesus, the story of the church, and you know and this is why and then you ends up with and this is why Paul's in jail. Yeah, and it ends there. And it ends there. Yeah. Right. and and that theory that the book of Acts was a uh, defense brief I guess is the legal term has been batted around literally I mean there have been people that have been hugely critical of it and said no there's no way a defense brief would be you know as long as Acts is as short as it is but as long as it is uh, and then recently some people that I respect have come back and said, you know, this is worth thinking more about. That, that Luke very well could have been. And you start looking at things like the portrayal of Paul is pretty consistently this is a good guy. He's not dangerous. He's not dangerous to... The Roman Empire. He's uh, really not fighting against Judaism. He's uh, fulfill. He's preaching of the fulfillment of Judaism and still worshiping same the, God. the same God, yep. the God of Israel. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. So that's another take on who the audience is you know, if the audience for the book of Acts, at least partially maybe, was uh, some of the Roman government. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: So I'm, I'm talking fast. I, I want to give Kent some time. Um, one way that I would encourage you to look at the speeches, the sermons that we... Um, do each week is just go through the questions who's talking what are they talking about where are they who's the audience and the date when you know what's happened before that that sort of thing and then we will try to uh, do some application to us and if we have enough time this morning We'll try to go to a, a speech that's, I think, is either two or three verses in chapter one that's not on this list. And we'll just run through the who, what, where, when. So, Kim.
1: Well, thank you, Leland, for inviting me
0: to be a part of this.
1: Um, I, too, appreciate the class, the technical class we had in the first six Thank you, my brother, many. Appreciate that. Um, I've even heard people I remember one minister referring to it as 2nd Luke. We have 1st and 2nd Luke. And that, that kind of makes sense too, doesn't it? And I, as Leland was talking, I was thinking about how that these are written to this person, Theophilus, uh, and it, Luke says, I carefully, you know, in the very first chapter, I carefully uh, documented these things. And so, that's um, good, it's good. Well, let me um, do a little bit of Leland asked me, and, and I'm going to try to do my best to uh, keep the content coming from Wheatland. and I'd like to look at it in a rhetorical way. Um, my my training is in communication, oral communication, speech, and uh, of course, anyone in in that remembers or has heard much about Aristotle, who of course predates Jesus by about 350 years, and he had this. Approach, and he had this approach to persuasion, which many of the speeches, sermons, defenses in the Book of Acts are uh, Stephen or Peter, Paul, or others trying to defend or persuade. And um, and so, as we do that, as we think about that, um, the first thing that uh, he would say is ethos is the way that you would persuade. And this has to do with credibility, believability of the speaker, believability of the person who's selling something. Um, if someone is a salesperson selling a product or service and they don't look at you, maybe you wouldn't be as likely to believe them. I imagine if you're like me, there are some people in your life, <clears throat> I mean, I had a friend who's gone now, but if he said it, I'd believe it. Is there anybody in your life like that? I mean, if that person said it, then didn't, I'd believe it. On the other hand, are there people in your cognitive thinking, if they said it, no, no, I don't buy it. And that's playing, of course, that's playing with ethos. Uh, We would maybe say ethics, Uh, but that is a very powerful thing. If I stood behind a note stand today, we don't have one, but if I stood behind a note stand and around the note stand and beside the note stand all at once and tried to convince you to go on a diet and exercise regularly I would have a problem with you would probably have a hard time buying that right because I don't represent what I'm talking about so the first proof would be uh, ethos right the second would be pathos which is emotion using emotion to persuade um I was reading today about I I remember you might remember the the lady that comes on with a very sultry voice voice, and there's, there's melancholy music playing and they're showing this dogs and animals that have been mistreated. It's obviously trying to appeal to emotion. And appealing to emotion is not a bad thing, but it needs to have balance, does not it? And uh, this is another way to persuade. So we have credibility of the speaker, the believability of the speaker, using emotion to persuade. We have words like empathy, sympathy, apathy, okay? And then third is logos or logos, depending on which Greek class you took, I took Greek uh, in college at ACU, I had one semester of it. I usually tell people my, my grade was closer to Omega than alpha. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually I was very I was good probably to okay, see, sorry, that's a warning that gives me a 15-minute warning that I do this in classes so I know I have to begin winding down. Uh, so we have 15 minutes now. Um, Logos or logic, of course, we, we know uh, John begins by saying the Logos was Jesus. We, we, we use that phrase. <clears throat> uh, I like, so anyway, those are three approaches to persuasion that I will be looking at in our class as we look at these various speeches and defenses and so on. <clears throat> and I would ask us to think about, you know, think about the credibility of Stephen. Did he use emotion? Uh, Do you use logic? Think about the credibility of Peter. using he emotion and logic? Think about the credibility of Paul and so on. And so I'll be doing that sort of a thing. I'll try to leave the content up to uh, Leland, and I'll try to stay out of the content uh, if I need to. Um, I came across a quote recently that said, one of the greatest challenges for men and women and uh, is not to learn, but to unlearn." Um, I've seen before about 140 freshmen uh, each week, and uh, uh, they already know it all, so they don't have to learn. But there's a challenge to unlearn, isn't there? And the Book of Acts, I think, is a book that wants to reorient people. And it's just like a re-education process. Um, Temples are very sacred in whatever religion. That's where the gods interact with humanity. And whether it's a temple in Jerusalem that the Jews are going to be hop trot about, or uh, in Ephesus, I mean, temples are very important. And Paul, especially, is going to spend a lot of time trying to re-educate and get people to unlearn so they can learn. But it's hard to unlearn. It's hard to do things differently. I might invite some of you or some of you just kind of fold your arms a second. Set your pins down. Just fold your arms. Now, now this is weird to me. Change. That's not right. That doesn't feel right, does it? Do you pray like this, or do you pray like this? can't go to heaven if you pray that way, right? <laughs> I mean, there are things that feel right. We cross our legs a certain way, but it doesn't feel right to cross the other way. We have to unlearn some things before we're motivated to learn. I'm going to ask some of you to just read what's on the screen here in a second. I'll just ask you to read it, and, and you can read it out loud if you would. Okay, if you like to read that first? Once in a, a lifetime.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: This is the first time in a public gathering the first person you know, got right? it. <laughs> 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 this well, is an elite group. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they don't need to unlearn today. Uh, last week I went around the whole classroom of like 20 people. No one. You know. Now a first grade reader would have no problem. Yeah. We we think, I know what it says, I know what it says. Move on. Why do we play in these games? Move on. I I don't need, you know, I know what this says, okay? Well, um, have we ever brought a remote to church?
0: <laughs>
1: right. Have we ever brought a remote to class? And the preacher gets up there and mm-hmm. let's all stay. That's all we when we were school kids, do we have to bring a remote to class? Mm-hmm. And the teacher would get up there. And the buzzer goes off. we Simon, what mm-hmm. are we going to have? Stephen, and Peter, and Paul were facing a lot of people that I'm afraid many times as soon as they got up pushed mute. Have we ever pushed mute on our kids when they asked for $21 for gas? Have they ever pushed mute on us? Uh, when we say, clean your room, there's an ice cream treat in it for you, what are they here? Ice cream tree. Um, and how does it feel to be pushing you off? Well, Stephen had a whole group of people, I think, that pushed you. And because in, in Acts chapter 7, on page 42 in this little booklet, of 40, I guess, um, he starts telling a story. My guess is he's telling a history story. He's telling a history lesson. And they're all yeah, nodding their yeah, yeah, yeah. We buy that, we buy that, yeah. Until he gets to the point. There's one point where he says, he quotes from the Old Testament, and God basically says, "What house will you build for me?" He um, basically says, "Don't you dare! Don't you dare build a building that you said will contain me, however big it is. If it covers the whole earth, that's reductionary. Don't you dare do that." And if I'm not mistaken, I believe every reference to God and the temple, when God refers to the temple. I don't think he ever says he will live there. His name will live there. I think there's a difference. And the Jewish people thought Paul and Peter and others uh, were saying the Torah is bad, the temple is bad. They weren't saying that. They were saying this is the fu- Jesus is the fulfillment of all that. And they believed that you know God lived there. And you can kind of get the idea how they thought that after thousands of years of thinking, this holy space, especially the holy holies, God lives there. Uh, but I don't, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know. But every reference I'm aware of, God never claims He will live in the temple. The people thought He did. He said His name will live there, and and so Simon Peter kind of quotes that. And my guess is that's when the people, this uh, sorry Stephen. That's when the people started saying, wait a second, this is not a history lesson I'm familiar with, or I like. The Sadducees were in control of the temple, and they were the ones that would, when a family would bring a lamb and it wasn't pure, like they thought, they would say, oh, you can't do that, you have to buy one of ours. And they would make the family, after they traveled this way, brought their favorite deer to offer as a sacrifice, they'd say, oh, you can't offer that, you have to buy one of these. So they did sell one of those, and now they're out of money, and they got 30 days in Jerusalem. And then they were even accused of taking the one that they earlier had said, "You can't offer that one." They put that in the batch to be sold to the next. The Sadducees were the ones who were in charge in the temple, and that's that's the people that Jesus put the tables on, right? They thought God lived there, and to have someone come along and say, "Jesus is the fulfillment of the temple," and you are now we as the temple. This fighting words, isn't it? To those people who are in charge, that's pretty serious. I guess I'm done. Oh, uh, I would, I would, uh, I would like to just pose if we have time. I see how my, my buzzer. Well, oh, we have about six minutes. Is that okay? Uh, let's think about Stephen. Um, in chapter 7, if you have a Bible, you may have a look at it, but think about Stephen, the, the council uh, says, you know, they, they have some drummed up people who say, this man is teaching about a man who said he would destroy the temple. Well, they, often they refer to it as the place. That was, that was synonymous with the place. Who would destroy this place and rebuild it in three days. They had these false accusations against Stephen. Sounds familiar, doesn't it, with Jesus. So what kind of what kind of credibility, what kind of uh, ethos would Stephen have? Can you think of any? How would how would uh, who was Stephen? How did we meet Stephen? Remember how we met Stephen? There were some Hellenistic widows and some Hebrew widows. They were Jews, they were all Jews. someone, someone speak Hebrew and someone speak Greek and one of them was not being served quite right. and So Stephen is one of those seven that were appointed. Um, we hear a lot about, I guess I say, we hear a lot about Stephen, we hear a lot from Stephen, but he's about the only one we hear much from. Um, but he was an honorable man, we know that. Um, I'm thinking of any, anything else you think of maybe that, that uh, gives him credibility here? Toward the end of his the speech, there's some things that happen that kind of give him credibility. I wonder if, if you think of any of those. Uh, toward the end of chapter 7. His uh, face was that of an angel? They looked at him saw him and his face was that of an angel. they an interesting phrase. It would be neat to know what that meant. Another time, he looks into heaven he says, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That's a pretty bold claim, isn't it? That Jesus would stand there But uh, that's interesting. And then another thing that gives him to me is he dies like Jesus dies. Remember how he dies, what what he says when he's dying? He says, lay not the sin to their charge. Jesus said something similar, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Very untypical of a martyr. I was reading about one martyr. But he said, because they were going to cut his tongue off, and he said to his accusers, to his uh, people that were punishing him, I'll get my tongue back in heaven, but you're going to roast in hell, basically. And a lot of times, martyrs curse the people that are abusing them at the end on their way out a person, not Jesus, not Stephen. Uh, that's an amazing order to pray that God would for kids and kids. that gives a lot of credibility to me about Stephen. Yeah. Any other thoughts on the credibility of Stephen? We'll get there, I think, in a couple weeks uh, on the sermon, more technical, more content-wise. but. Um, I'm beginning to, I'm thinking that those people who were his audience, they began to hear something that they weren't real comfortable with when, when God says, who will build a house for me? Don't you, don't you know I've made all this? How would you make something for me? I, I created all this. And I bet they began to start listening. And at, at a certain point, they were enraged. They gnashed their teeth, cetera, as they rushed him, dragged him out of town, and started to him. Um, so, my part of the class uh, is uh, wanting to look at those sort of rhetorical sides and uh, I hope we can compliment each other on that and uh, maybe Lee has something he wants to add here. I guess I took the time. I apologize. Yeah. We have about three minutes, I think. Yeah. Maybe, we should, maybe we should close the. prayer. Well, well <clears throat> questions? Thank you for being here. We've got, we've got some Nice journal books here that leave in this spot for us, and that's nice. Well, let's have a prayer. We're going. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for this day. You are so powerful and great beyond us, and we uh, we are nothing like that. We're amazed that you allowed us to be in relationship with you. Thank you for your word that has been protected all these centuries and millennia, and help us to. Unlearn the things that we may have picked up along the way that we have stopped trying to learn anew. Help us to realize every day is anew with you and your blessings and mercies are new every day. Thank you for our time together. Bless every class that meets and a life-changing teaching that's taking
0: place, especially in the younger ones. In Jesus I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.